0: gentlemen boys and girls and everybody in between
1: he's your favorite mexican-american gemini from south texas it's chibi and she's
0: the lipstick-loving salvadorican from brooklyn new york it's rocky and this is words and shit the show where you get to know the person behind the poetry
1: brought to you by write art out
0: Oh, hey, what is up, everybody? Oh my goodness. How are you I, doing? I mean, I've got to say, in the words of Nina Simone, it mm-hmm. is a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life, and yes.
1: I am feeling good. Whoa, I am feeling amazing. I feel like the like the date is like welcomed me, you know, on Wednesday. It was just a little brighter just breathe, I don't know about you, but I definitely cried quite a bit um, on Wednesday,
0: so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband and I were watching the inauguration. We had our pearls and chucks on, okay, like we do. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there were definitely a lot of moments of like, oh my God, this is actually happening. This is so historic. And just to have that moment, first of all, that monochromatic outfits, the fashion.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, (laughs) Yes,
0: <laughs> was everything. But then to finally see, to finally see a woman, a woman of color, to take the oath and ascend to the executive branch of the United States was just monumental and historic, and a moment of celebration for sure. I know.
1: Well, it's two women, like women of colors, right? We got. Kamala Harris, who became our vice president. And then we had Sonia Sotomayor, the Supreme Justice, right, swearing, you know, swearing her in, which was a huge, huge moment for just women and specifically women of color everywhere, right? Um, I know that I started crying the minute like Michelle Obama came in. I was like, she's forever my first lady. I don't care (laughs) who comes in, like she is gonna be my first lady forever. Um, You know, and I think where Vice President Harris kept saying, like, you know, she's not going to be the first. uh, She's the first, but she won't be the last. Right. Um, Giving this pathway to a lot of women, specifically a lot of women of color. um, You know, we have a lot of we're really looking forward to this this new administration, you know, but we still want to hold them accountable. Um, But again, I think I don't want to take away anything from women of color who showed a lot of pride. I'm seeing um, Vice President Harris.
0: For sure, for sure. Cause it's a, it's, it's, it's trailblazing. It's that idea of like breaking glass ceilings, you know because not just uh, being a woman, but being of color. There's so mm-hmm. many barriers that are in place and to see that, you know, and to move through politics and to move through these barriers and to move these barriers aside for future generations is just an amazing thing that we see now in politics, but that so many people have been doing for so long in our communities. You know, what are, what are Mm -hmm. some of your thoughts on that?
1: Oh man, I think even when I was talking to my mom, um, just the fact that because, um, I can't stop saying a vice president Harris, right. Uh, when she was being sworn in, um, you know, she was getting really emotional, but she was laughing and not laughing, but smiling. And my mom was just like, she can't cry, right? She can't cry because she can't show weakness. And I thought that was kind of really a sad moment. I'm like, well, we should cry if we want to, you know, this yeah. is a joyous moment for her, but this like double standards of what it means to be a woman of color, right? We have to work twice as hard. We have to, um, you know, we're hyper-sexualized. We are um, deemed sometimes too fiery, too angry, too too, um, too aggressive, right? Yeah." because of we are women of color,
0: right? It, it reminds me of how like they, they used to, uh, they would say of her like, she's she's too ambitious. She's very mm-hmm. ambitious, right? And you would never in a million years, you know, see that as a derogatory term if we were mm-hmm. talking about a man, right? Especially a white man, but for a woman of color to be ambitious, somehow Mm -hmm. there's a negative connotation. But I love how she has just kind of like taken that and been like, Yeah, I have ambitions. And Mm -hmm. what, bitch? I assume in in her head, she says, bitch, with a finger snap, you know. But it is this idea of like, forget this double standard. You know, we're here to reclaim as people of color, as women, as queer, we're here to reclaim our spaces and what you thought was putting us down is actually empowering us to be even better.
1: It really is, right? So this idea of like reclaiming, especially of people of color, women of color, queer individuals, right? You know, either were too fam, we're too aggressive, too bossy, right? Um, which I wanna segue, right? Because especially for a woman of color, you can't be anything but this idea of like respectability politics, right? We have to really, expire towards this whiteness and not be, mm-hmm. you know, sucias um, or malcriadas mm-hmm. or you know, just, like, um vergüenzas. But that's OK. Like, this is the moment for us to reclaim it, right? Actually, if you don't know, I actually have a tattoo of, like, marfiada tattooed on me. <laughs> the, I'm a bitch, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think with our new guests, with our guests coming over, right? This idea of susia, what this means of like pushing down boundaries and having all these like intersectional feminismos and feminismas and um what it means to to really reclaim those identities, right? Um by praying to the Saint of Santa Susia. Um I would love to love to introduce our um guest, Natasha Hernandez. Yay!
2: Oh hello, oh, hello everybody, how's it going? Oh, am I okay there you go? There you go. Let me
1: introduce you, friend. All right, cool. Hey. <laughs> Natasha Hernandez is a nurse, writer, publisher from San Antonio, Texas, um, Eastside, Woo! Woo! Um, she is the editor of Santa Susia, um, an international feminist art and literature periodical and co-founder of San Anto Scenes Best. Influenced by San Antonio culture, comic books, sci-fi, and feminismo, works include poetry, comics, photos, and altars. In her free time, she enjoys sharing music as DJ Heavy Slow. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> salud. Salud. I know. salute.
0: Ah. So excited to have you on Natasha. It's so great to have someone who, you know, we are talking about, We were talking about trailblazers and carving the past for like women of color. And you're definitely one of those people. And I can't wait to like dive into, to know more about, you know, the things that you've done and share them with the world. But like, we're just so excited to have you on.
2: Thank you guys so much mm-hmm. for having me on. This is so
1: exciting. <laughs> I know, I know. I was just like telling Chibi, Um, that I really love that you always kind of do interviews or take photos around in your front porch and you're drinking. So I feel like that is amazing. That's why I was like, I'm gonna have my beer. Chibi's gonna have his like shot of tequila, his drink, you know, we're here to really be in community
2: with you, right? Even though we're not there in the front porch with you, I would love to one day. We'll get back. In a little yes, day. of course. You're welcome on the porch. soon since the pandemic's over, we can chill. This is my office. I do everything out here. Like, I have my little turntable. I listen to records. I like have my plants out here. This is my writing space. I do everything out here. I've all the meetings that I've done for Saint Susia, San Antonio Fest. I've had so many organizing meetings. Like all the interviews that people have asked me to do. I invite like people to come to my home, and I'm like, okay, we're on the porch. We're having tea. We're having beers. Like, let's be comfortable and just like chill and like talk openly about. You know what's what's going on?
1: Oh man, I'm like I hopefully like I just want a little plaque where you can put on your your house or your front porch to be like this is where Santa Susia like coronates and edits. Oh (laughs) yeah,
2: we're gonna get the city of San Antonio to like get some kind of plaque here. It's gonna be like Motown where you show up and it's like oh Motown, it's so historic, but it's like a house where they just like had barbecues with like Stevie Wonder and like the Four Tops. It's gonna be amazing. (laughs) Perfect. so I, you know, before
1: we go in, I, you know, we always wanna um, see where your heart is. So as a friend, I always love to check in and be like, so how's your heart doing friend? How's, how's your heart doing this week, today, this this new year?
2: Let's go. So I'm doing a lot better this week. So this week I feel like really relaxed and like ready to like write and ready to work on stuff and ready to kind of like have more fun. Like my book club book this month is like a comic book. So I'm like ready to dive into that. Mm -hmm. But like the past two weeks, honestly, have been very, very stressful and very intense because like COVID has been so bad in the city and I am a nurse. And then with like everything going on in the country, it's just been super stressful. And I really haven't it's been like hard for me to find moments to like really process what's going on because it's constantly like, okay, well, what's going on in the news? Oh my gosh, well, I got to go see a patient. Like, oh my gosh, what's going on in the news? Okay, well, I have to do my notes right now. Like people are calling me from like, you know, wherever, like the pharmacy or wherever. And it's just like a lot. And it is because of how intense COVID is in San Antonio right now. So there was like a couple of weeks there where it was just, super busy and I was just like calling relatives, like elderly relatives being like, do you need groceries? Because this is not the time to go to the grocery store. Like, do you have your medicine? Like, do you have questions about your medicine right now? Cause like, don't leave your house for a little bit. Like it was really like a period of me just being like, this is really serious and I'm seeing how serious it is. And it was just kind of like a lot of working and stress, but then also just like reflection of just how we really just need to like, respect what's going on and take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. where I am right now. Like I feel a lot better, a lot more chill, but like the past two weeks have been probably like the most intense that I've seen.
0: Yeah. And luckily we now have someone in the White House who's going to take this seriously.
2: It is honestly such a relief for somebody to be like, yes, this is real. Yes, we need to address this as opposed to somebody who just completely just ignored a problem that just caused so much death and devastation. So it is just a big relief to just have somebody just say this is real, we need to take care of it. Because with everything going on in the country, no matter what the issue is, we have to look at it in the face and say like, this is real. We need to confront it versus just saying, like, this isn't a problem. Like, COVID isn't a problem. Like, racism isn't a problem. Like, our justice system isn't a problem. Like, we need to really look at things. And I'm really hoping that, you know, this administration will be honest and be serious and look at things in the face and say, like, we need to confront these. And I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to just say like, no, absolutely not. Fuck all Democrats. You know, they're the same. Every, nothing's going to happen. I'm going to give myself space to be hopeful that something is going to happen. Something yeah. has to change for the better because the last four years have been just so bad. Yeah.
0: I, really- I mean, oh, it yeah. is one of those things where, you know, like I was talking to a friend earlier and they were like, well, you know, time has just been flying by. And I was like, no, since the election time has been crawling crawling to January 20th. And now that we got to January 20th, it's like, okay, now let's hit the ground running. Cause there's still work to do. There's still so much work to do.
2: There's so much work to do. But then also I think that there has been just like a collective sigh of relief and not just like within my circle, within my family, but like globally, I've been like, you know, I listen to like international news and it's like all around the world. People are like, finally something is going to change for the better so I think that that's already like a tangible positive yeah. that's happened because of because of the change
0: can we all just take a deep breath together because that would be nice <laughs> can we just and a drink and a drink,
1: time.
0: Time all, right. A drink.
1: all right can we well, do thank you thank you so much you know natasha thank you you so much for having me no just even for your colleagues as well you know being the front lines and we really appreciate it you know um you're there constantly every day and you get to see and be with people who are positive with covid and all that stuff so we want to say thank you in the bottom of our hearts you know for all you do
2: you're welcome Um, I was going to say I do it for San Antonio, but you're not in San Antonio, Rocky. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think, you know, New York probably also needed amazing, you know, nurses like you as well. But you do it for your community in San Antonio.
0: Well let's dive into it And uh, audience audience that's watching right now You clearly already know the drill But like use the comment section y'all We see you, I see you out there Uh, So make sure you use the comment section To interact, you know Like send some praise, ask your questions Be part of this conversation But let's jump into the questions We're going to start with a section that we like to call speed dating Uh, Mm -hmm. So just a quick way To get to know our guest Before we jump into the poetry And deep dive into the conversation so, Natasha, feel free to answer these questions as concisely or as in-depth as you feel necessary. Okay? Okay. So, first question. How would your favorite person describe your poetry?
2: Um, so, the way Issa describes my poetry is uh, just shit-talking. Uh <laughs> And then also, uh, I was reading a poem to her a while ago and she was just like, "Uh, I kind of like don't get a lot of poetry, but I like your poetry. So it's kind of like poetry for people who don't like poetry. And I was like, that is such a big compliment. Thank you so much. (laughs) She says, Squachina.
0: I love that poetry for the people, you know?
1: (laughs) It really is. It really is. Um, All right. What is your most overused word?
2: Um... I don't know if I have a most overused word, but the phrase that I've been saying for the past year nonstop is it's a lot because people, so many people have been calling me and like we will Partially because I'm a nurse, it's like I've been getting like calls and texts from people that are like, I don't know, I dated five years ago or haven't seen since high school. And they're just like, hey, I have a medical question I saw on Facebook that you're a nurse. So people are just telling me so much stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. So I'm just like, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. It's infected. It's infected. Yes. Yeah, thank you for sending me that picture, Grandma. Yeah.
0: So Put yeah. Appointment it. on it.
2: Yeah. Oh, wait. Just a, a little aloe. You're fine. Don't send me any more pictures no. of your rash. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. A little bit, right? You just put a little dicks and cures
2: everything. So you yeah, you're fine.
0: Out. That is so that is so real. I'm married to a nurse, so I totally understand. Cause every family member that like has something wrong is like, wait, what's going on? And they send a picture and it's like, yeah, that's definitely broken. Yeah. Go to the yeah. Hospital.
2: Yeah, like people will call me with stuff and I'm like, you need to call in an ambulance. Why did you call me? You're wasting time. Hang up now. Hang up now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question you're a DJ. We all love music. I'm a Gemini, so I'm going to completely understand if you can't pick one, but what is your favorite record?
2: So, I don't think I could pick a favorite record, but if I have to pick, like, an album that I've listened to the most, it's probably London Calling by The Clash. Mm -hmm. It's, like, just, like, a really awesome, like, old school British punk, it's really political. It's like, um, it's got some reggae songs, got like a 1950s cover, it's got some punk, it's got some rock, it's got a lot of reggae, ska. That's a pretty well-rounded album.
0: Yeah. I'll All take right. it any day.
1: All right, and then our last question, what is your favorite literary device?
2: My favorite literary device is hyperbole because it's the best thing ever and it's so (laughs) useful you know if you want to just like say something is really bad or really good it's just the easiest way Mm. and I'm lazy that's why yeah that's why I'm a poet (laughs) not a novelist I'm like here's a shortcut to self-expression right here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Just go big or go home, basically. Exactly. I love it. We all,
2: You know what? I will I
0: will take the question from the audience right now. Why not? Just speed dating. Throw it up on screen. What books are you reading right now?
2: Uh, so for my book club, we're reading Ghost in the Shell, which is like classic old school manga. Mm-hmm. I am like 30 pages into it, and I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Um, so that's what I'm reading right now.
1: Oh my god! So I I am a little anime nerd. So like Ghost in the Shell definitely came out like an Adult Swim and everything, and I loved it. I love the graphics and everything. So I don't know if you want to pair it up with the actual series, not the not the um oh the the movie with Scarlett Johansson who totally whitewashes it. Like the true like anime portion of it, it's amazing.
0: We don't do that, we don't do that. Well, we might talk about your book club uh, a little later, dive into all of that and comics and whatnot, because we know you dabble in a variety of mediums. Uh, But right now, let's, let's go ahead and get things going the way we normally do and just hand the show over to you. And if you could please just bless us with some poetry.
2: Okay, cool. Okay, so this first poem I'm gonna read is called Courthouse Homegirl. It's 7 a.m., says the alarm, and I got to get up, throw on a dress because I can't be bothered to think, hoodie because it's going to be cold, hoops that set off the metal detectors every time, and I got to go pick up my homegirl and take her to court. Not child support, protective order, or family violence court, but court court. No, this isn't a place I haven't been. It's real court. Judge is a cranky old bastard court. One lawyer looks 12 and the other looks 76 court. And I'm here, trying to be supportive, offering my homegirl mints and water from my purse, saying, it's gonna be okay, you probably won't get time, faking smiles and nods, and me, half hungover, still thirsty, children in the filthy stalls of the red courthouse, deep breaths on the toilet, looking at a dead roach on the floor, before I wash my hands, and I'm bored, no phones, no drinks, and all I can do is look at these hot dudes about to do time, I fucking a lawyer that looks exactly like the guy I lost my virginity to in a field and wondering if I can pick up the guy in the cuffs at the magistrate's office after I get breakfast. We walk down the front steps and I ask my homegirl, what did your lawyer say? Are you okay? Did you get probation? Did he ask about me? Go back and tell him I'm single. And she comes back at me with the, ooh, that nerd. And I say, hey, he's got a job. Okay, uh, this next poem um, is about being a nurse right now and um, the attempted coup on the Capitol. COVID hit and I looked for a new job, hospice in a pandemic. I joked to Issa that the job description reminded me of the Chernobyl TV series. I call her on the phone and read a posting to her, hospice nurse needed. We need one brave hospice nurse to provide end of life care to COVID patients. In the TV show, a reactor is about to spill more radiation and they need three brave young men to volunteer to open valves to prevent an explosion. Three young men agree, knowing they will all die of radiation poisoning in weeks. They agree to do it for a bottle of vodka each, relatable content. It's been nine days straight of singles, doubles, exhausted, grouchy, unable to celebrate birthdays. The hospitals are emptying to make room for the COVID patients, and I see the other side. I am lucky, safe, careful, yes, yes, lucky. I was sick early after taking a job in DC, no way of knowing if I had it then, no tests were available in San Antonio yet. But I read in the newspaper that a tiger in the Brooklyn Zoo had COVID, and I couldn't help but think, That tiger got a test and I can't. My job is driving, visiting the dying. I go to nursing homes. I go to hospitals. I go to trailers surrounded by flat, open Texas outside the city limits. I go to housing. I go to mansions. I go to homes. I'm lucky enough to not have been severely sick, even though I touch the sick, hold the hands of the dying, even though I did this back when we didn't know if it was safe. I use my own PPE breathing their last moments through a paper mask as they breathe them through tubes. The day of the attempted coup, I didn't know what happened. I worked all day, heard pieces on the radio. Before I leave home, my partner says, there's a riot at the Capitol. And I say, of course there is. And I pet my dog and leave the house. I visit my patient in a nursing home. The sign on the door says, all media inquiries should be directed to our media manager at blah, blah, phone number. I enter in full PPE, and the nurse who unlocks the door, because all nursing homes are locked now, says, take off that paper gown, haven't you heard? The health department says, those do nothing. I tear off the gown and put on a plastic one-handed to me. The lobby is empty, abandoned visiting stations of fancy chairs separated by 10-foot-high plastic partitions. I chat with the nurses, thank them profusely, walk up to the room, separated but from the other units by double doors. I reach for hand sanitizer on the wall, but it's empty. There's a gallon sized pump bottle on a table that says Tito's Vodka. How is Tito's Vodka doing more than the federal government right now? Never mind. just rub your hands, glove up, do the best you can. Everyone told me this patient was so sweet, so funny before he got sick. The nurse tells me he was really into watching the news. And when he got a cough and then was rushed to the hospital, he said, I guess this COVID thing is real. And I see him, he's still sweet still himself, just in slow motion. I check on him, tuck him in, and I know he's not gonna make it another day. I thank him. I say, so nice to meet you, sir. And I give him Powerade from a tiny cup and walk out reaching for the Tito's hand sanitizing modified for a pandemic vodka. In my car, I think he could have made it if, and I realize none of that's useful, realistic or appropriate. My job isn't to wonder why this so sweet, so funny member of our community won't make it. My job is a good death. If nothing can be done, the hope is a good death. Comfortable, dignified, surrounded by love. Even if you have no family in your last moments, there's the love of a stranger in the form of sips of Powerade. My sister called me to tell me, be careful. I say, what's happening? The White House is stormed? Those idiots at the state were at the state Capitol with machine guns at the protest for abortion rights. They were with machine guns at the Alamo when we were protesting for Black Lives Matter. And years ago at the immigrants' rights protest I went to with dad, I don't take it seriously. And I say, I'm doing paperwork in my car. Love you, call you back by. I go to my next home, a two-story house in a gated community, the family celebrating Chinese New Year, red, beautiful decorations with Texas modifications, HEB bottled water, topo chico, and oranges on the tables, the families watching Cantonese telenovelas, the, grandmother, the granddaughters, ask their dad how to say, take a deep breath to their grandmother. She says back to them, have you eaten? I think looking at the ladies, don't worry, I'm third generation, I know how you feel. The ladies lay in bed with my patient who's over 100, speaks no English and did her own laundry and cooked her own meals until last week, but now cannot move. I look at the nightstand, there's a black and white photo of her so glamorous in short hair and a blazer holding the hand of a little boy wearing a traditional Chinese collared shirt and little boy shorts. And this little boy standing next to me, looking at his mother in bed and his two grown daughters crying and kneeling in the bed next to her. They ask, what can we do? I say this, be with her, talk to her, sit with her. You're already doing the best you can. There are moments of medicine, big equipment, supplies, but in my job, the best case scenario is this. My homegirl texts me and says, I don't know if you're home or not with or out with patients, but it's wild in D.C. right now. I text her back. I can't talk right now. I'm doing hot girl shit and send a selfie of my face marked red with my mask from my mask. It was a trend back from almost a year ago when we all cared, all feared, all tried because Europeans were dying. And now that I'm here and Tejanos, San Antonio folks are dying. It's a quick joke because shit is too fucking heavy. I get a call that the hospitals in Texas are on lockdown and the only thing I thought was good, I have time to eat before my next patient. I get called to see a patient who won't make it out of the ER, the hospital's out of PPE. I wear what I have and I walk into her negative pressure room. She says she used to be a teacher. She loved to teach art, she loved to paint, and right now she loves to chat. I ask if there's anything I can do for her. And I brush her teeth while she is dying of COVID because that's the only request I can do for her comfort. Another nurse knocks on the glass and says, that's long enough. I walk out, I explain slowly and calmly to the ER nurse, it's okay to give more morphine. And then a doctor comes over and asks, what is everyone looking at? As I'm talking to three ER nurses. One says, we're learning how to do hospice. We never see it here. And he looks at me and says, you watch people die all day, you like that? I say, I like my job. He calls me sicky and walks away. My patient died a few hours after being so chatty. I go home to work on my charts. I'm done at 2 a.m. I check the internet. Everyone is sharing clips of the riot. It's only then that I realize what happened. I'm floored, but I'm not surprised. These people finally got their chance to do what they always wanted. Someone shared the video of that woman being shot, flopping on the floor like a fish out of water, gushing blood and beats that I understand from my years at the hospital. She's wheeled out with CPR in another video and I know she's dead. Another day of looking at death. Our country is hemorrhaging its citizens and the powers that be they don't care because they saw who's dying, workers who can't stay home Indigenous people passing in numbers that required Doctors Without Borders to be deployed to the reservation. Black and Latinx people dying at rates nearly three times that of white Americans. Filipino nurses, one third of the nurses who have died, but less than 5% of all nurses in America. The next day I have an early meeting and I'm called out to see a patient in a fancy nursing home with chandeliers. As I get out of my car, I put on a mask, looking around the parking lot at a building going up. About 20 men are busy. Yelling at each other across the worksite in Spanish, a woman wheels a trash can across the pavement in a mask and gown. But I can still I can still tell she's smiling at me. I wave and yell Buenos dias. She says it back as I walk up to the doors, and I meet our doctor, a short, smart woman from Iran. We meet this person who demanded this meeting, and she's an hour late. She starts by saying she's a nurse well-connected in New England, related to the head of research at this university and that one too, elite academia over there. And then she tells us Texas has the worst medical care in the country and she knows why. It's the education, it's the population. None of the doctors are even educated here. You look them up and they're from University of Guadalajara. She says this to a Mexican-American nurse and a Persian doctor. Maybe it's a lockdown, but I haven't experienced this level of racism in my face in quite some time. She demands so much from us, just like the rest of the country who wants our labor, but not us. Wants us to invisibly produce, harvest, build, but not look at us, us in the face as humans and respect us. This is what that riot was about. It was about people demanding to be above the law, above other people, about being told they lost superiority. And now they're trying to take it with a gun, with a mob. These are the same people who refuse to save even themselves by wearing masks. The country is in chaos and this was its most visible, but all these elements have been present since our country's inception. Mass death, but we're still expected to keep working, keep providing, knowing the risks, because those risks are different depending on the color of your skin, how much money you have, what kind of medical care is close to you. If this country was built on using people as machines, as objects for disposal once spent, How can we build on rotten wood that will crumble in all of this? Plague, racist president, cool violence. It's just more weight that this house cannot withstand. And if it crumbles and we live in its rubble, most of us won't tell the difference between strong, healthy government and a pile of trash because we've been living down here for generations without anything we need. Any talk of change looks suspicious to all of here, all of us here. Living as support beams to the big white house that never let us in. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Applause, applause,
0: applause, 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 applause. applause. We try, we Mm. try. The virtual world is very strange, but (laughs) here we are.
1: Ooh, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was right. a lot to take in. <laughs>
2: sorry, sorry, guys.
1: No, it was don't
2: apologize.
1: Yeah. I'm like Writing down um, everything, oh. <laughs> it's what I do, Josh, is what I do. So, <laughs> wait, 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 bring that one back, bring
0: that comment back up. We need to read this one out loud. <laughs> I made the mistake of watching this while at HEB. Now I'm depressed in the cheese aisle. Great work, Tosh. You can't be depressed in the cheese aisle. Get you some brie, okay? Get you some hop, jalapeno cheddar. I don't know. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. It's what
2: I do. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, Tosh. Um, as I was like listening to you, to you, to um, read some of your poetry, I want to say that you know, I've known you for a couple of years now. um, And I've definitely loved to see like the progression. I haven't heard any new um, poetry from you in a long time. And I think it's just, wow, it just speaks to like, you know, how much you've grown as a writer and like so specific and taking me to so many different emotions um, and the trauma and just using your words to really relate to just like really juxtaposing between like the capital and the riots and just like another day of death that you're experiencing, whether it be seeing it on T V or witnessing it in person, you know, I, I Ooh, that was that was a great poem. both of them were but that was that was amazing. so thank
2: you Thank you And then also um I just got my foundation fixed what what So that kind of influenced the ending there. I think I mean it just came out you know you know when you're a writer what's around you it just works you know
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you said that and I immediately thought that you got you finally got the right shade of foundation for your face. Oh, wow. and I was <laughs> yeah. like she's not talking. About I really
2: wish no. I've got like thirty foundations, and all of them are just a little bit off. So <laughs> I'm getting there. That's my next life goal: get the foundation fixed on my house, and then find the right foundation shade.
0: That's all right. We'll work together. Um, so I wanted I I want to touch on that 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 Rocky was just talking about, and and that you so evidently uh, talk about in your poem. You know, uh, I think you're someone who's, whose art and activism have always been hand in hand. You know. Uh, and it is something that shows through, and not just the work that you do, but the work that you you have produced through your zine and things like that. It's 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 very punk rock poetry, you oh, know. You. <laughs> it's very much poetry for the people and anti-establishment poetry. Um, where does that mm-hmm. come from, and how do you see that permeate throughout your life?
2: Um. Well, I think that where most of like my, I guess like rebelliousness comes from is my parents like both of my parents are super i would say very radical people like my dad's always been very critical of like all political things and like i remember being a little kid and like watching the news with my dad and my dad just like talking shit through the whole thing being like these people are liars they're saying this on the news and i know they're really doing this or like during Fiesta Week, my dad yelled at Howard Peak when I was like 10 years old, the mayor of San Antonio during Fiesta Week. He was like, oh, hey, Howard, fix the streets on the south side. Like, <laughs> it's like very political, but just like kind of like weird, aggressive punk political. Mm. And then my mom is just like such a feminist, but she like, I don't think she sees herself as a feminist, but just like everything that she's done, just being like, okay, well, you know what, I just, I want to get my education, like. I have all these goals and all these dreams. And I think that she did a lot of the, her career and a lot of her pursuits at a time when it wasn't really what was expected of her or what was supportive, supported, you know, like she's from La Tripa, she's from the West side, like she was just like, okay, I'm really into school. And then... Her, you know, getting her masters, getting her PhD, all of that was her really, really struggling and really, really fighting to make it happen. And I'm just like so proud of her, and just seeing her being really dedicated to her goals, kind of just like to me was super feminist and super empowering to just like grow up with that. And then I also have this like really crazy Thea that like was um, she was an archaeologist, so she's also from the West Side. But then she was just like, oh yeah, I just didn't like it, so I moved to London, and then I moved to Israel, and then I lived in Hawaii, and I lived in Japan, and like. (laughs) You know, there's a whole world out there, Natasha. You don't have to stay in San Antonio. Don't listen to your parents. So that was also very encouraging. Like, I mean, crazy theas—they're so underrated. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like that's where I want to go to. I want to be that crazy thea. You know, that is the goal. Yeah, <laughs> it's like life that's goal life. is like being the crazy thea. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, I love how you know thinking about this anti establishment in the way that you write your poetry too you know i think you even call out academia within your last poem and i think this idea that poetry is supposed to be very elevated elite writing and here you are just kind of talking um about everyday things you you're saying shit and and Um, cursing and, you know, really, as like Issa would say, for the people, right? It's um, (laughs) all for the people. Um, I guess why, like, can you just talk about, you know, how your poetry kind of is against this academic language or just academic, like, idea that poetry is supposed to be elite?
2: So I feel like I meet so many people, like, when I tell them, like, oh, I am a poet, I do poetry, people are like, oh, I don't really understand poetry, or people just say, like, well, I don't like poetry because I don't get it, and um, I think that the problem is, like, the poetry that people are exposed to when they're in mm-hmm. high school or when they're in middle school is very unrelatable, like, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I I kind of, like, don't really like a lot of classic poetry, to be honest, you know, like, it's kind of boring to me. Um, And then things that like really appeal to me, like the poetry that I really like is poetry that is very real and very conversational and very relatable. But then also like poetry that exists like within music, like poetry that's like in like song lyrics. Like I think that like John Crine, like he's like a country singer. He does like a lot of like, storytelling and like narrative structure where it's like, I'm just gonna tell you a sad ass story cause this is a country song or in Elvis Costello songs where he's like, okay I'm gonna tell you like a really cute romance song but it's gonna be fucking filthy as hell. Like it's gonna be just fucking nasty. <laughs> Um, So I think that those things really influenced me more than looking at poetry in, like, an academic way. And then I think that also, like, what you're, like, referring to, Rocky, is kind of the fact that, like, I don't have any real poetry training. Like, I um, haven't taken a writing class since high school because, like, I uh, graduated from school and then... um, i was i was dedicated i was like i wanted to be a nurse since i was like a teenager so i didn't take a lot of like fun classes in college like i was like oh i need chemistry I need biology i need amp i need to do this lab i need to do this i need to cram it all in as much as i can um to get my degree because like i didn't really have like time or money to be messing around like um my parents didn't pay for me to go to school i didn't have like any kind of financial support like that so i didn't really have like the privilege to like take classes and take it in and be like okay well what is this structure like what is this right way of writing like what is this way to use like these tools of poetry and I'm trying to like learn more about that but honestly the way that I learn is just from reading like I just read poems that I like and I kind of think like well, what did I like about it? Well, how did they structure things? Well, what made it so punchy? Like, I feel like I was punched in the gut by this last line. Well, how did they build to that? It's not necessarily me like being like, I need to take poetry classes because I kind of don't really have time to like take poetry classes. Um, But I have learned a lot from like my community. I've gone to a lot of poetry workshops from like writers in town. Like I went to um, one that Pollyanna did and it was like all political writing and she like, had these amazing examples of poems I've never heard of. And I feel like those are the types of things that I would be exposed to if I had gone to school for that or if I did have some type of like formal education with this, but like I don't. So like what I'm basing my poetry on is just basically how I live my life, the things that are around me. Um, San Antonio is like the biggest influence in my writing because like, I love this city so much. Um, and I think that that's what makes it really conversational. And that's what makes it like kind of poetry for people who don't like poetry is mm-hmm. because it's not really structured in like this kind of way that it's, I guess, supposed to be or a way that is like people are taught it. it is. Um, So basically what I'm trying to say is I'm just making it up as I go along. Does does that answer your question? Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: It's a very DIY approach to poetry, which I think is again, rooted in this like punk rock element of like do it yourself sort of thing. You know, we talked earlier about uh, trailblazing and carving paths for people. And that was definitely something that you've done uh, in terms of if the space doesn't exist, you create the space for it, you know? And one of the ways that you did that was with your zine, Santa Susia. So for those that don't know, can you talk a little bit about how Santa Susia came along, uh, came about, where the name comes from? Like, just give us some history on Santa Susia.
2: (laughs) Okay, so uh, yes, I'm very proud of that zine. Uh, Santa Susia is um, an international submission-based uh, feminist, all Latina and gender non-conforming zine. Um, and how it started was my homegirl girl, Isa, uh, came up with the name Santa Susia or St. Susia when she was in college. Like, her and her homegirl would be like, oh, I'm going to do this and that. And, like, I need some help. And then they would be like, okay, we're going to ask the Virgen de Guadalupe for, like, our plan B to work. Or I'm going to ask this Virgen de Guadalupe, like, oh, my God, I'm going to see this guy tonight. I hope he has a big dick. And then Isa's like, you can't ask the Virgen de Guadalupe for, like, some good D, you know? So she's like, we need a different saint. We need, like, a new saint, like, a modern saint. So that's where they came up with the name Saint Susia and um she like wanted to do something with it and she didn't know if she wanted to like make a band or like make a zine and then she settled on making a zine and then she approached me when i was like out by myself drinking at high tones it's like at a show it was either like a punk show or like a gumbia show or something and I'm like smoking a cigarette by a trash can and she comes up to me and she's just like hey do you want to make a zine where like brown girls like just be real and talk shit and I was just like yeah for sure and in my head I was like oh she's like approaching me because she read my zine because I put out a zine called San Antopos Wow because I mean obviously San <laughs> awesome. Wow. um cool. Uh, Yeah, so I did that zine and it was all stories about San Antonio and then like photography and like I did like a magazine quiz in there and stuff, like just fun stuff. Um, But she like had never heard of my zine. Um, she just like approached me because, um, our ex-boyfriends were in the same punk band. And like, that's what I like to tell people. Like when people in like academia, like invite me and Issa into like big important spaces, I'm just like, oh, our, you know, publishing house came ab- came around because our ex-boyfriends were in the same punk band. That's how a lot of, uh, publishing houses became established. Random house, penguin, all of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah okay I'm glad you guys laugh because like people when I'm giving a lecture don't that that joke doesn't hit um but yeah so we um yeah we just like started doing the zine and we did one issue and part of why she wanted to do the zine was she was saying that she was going through like a bad breakup with like a lot of trauma and a lot of issues and stuff and I was like oh my gosh I have so much fucking trauma poetry, I am ready to put in this zine, Mm -hmm. whatever you wanna do, I am down, we'll put it together. And then one month later, we had a zine release party. Like we just came to the porch, this front porch, and then like started having meetings and I was like, here is my zine collection. Here's different formats, different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different paper. What do you wanna do? Do you want it to be all poetry? Do you want it to be all art? You're an artist, I'm a poet, we can do both, like boom. And it was just us being like, okay, how can we make this happen? So we were just hmm. texting people, um, like sending people messages on facebook like hey girl you told me you write poetry do you want to send a poem like hey i know you do photography i saw you post photography stuff on facebook like do you want to send us like like a a photo of something like it was just us reaching out to people that we knew were creative and then we did our first issue we didn't really have big expectations for it at all we were just like this is going to be something really fun and the first zine release party was definitely um just kind of a birthday party for me. Like I had been doing uh, birthday parties every year called Tasha Palooza. So I would just like (laughs) hire punk bands and be like, hey, do you guys wanna play for a case of beer? My dad will make you fajitas. Do you wanna play in my living room? And like a bunch of punk bands, and a bunch of bands in San Antonio have played, like being at the protest second show was like my high school graduation party. Um, Like there's just like all these bands that have played. um, So, we made my birthday party the first zine release party. So that's how we like got the idea to start doing zine release parties in San Antonio. So we hired, I think we had three punk bands, one Columbia band, and then like one weird psych indie band that came in from Austin. And then we charged at the door. Uh, We used that money to pay out the bands. And then we were like, okay, we can do this again because people keep emailing us. Like Mm -hmm. we'll make another issue. And um, yeah, people just, like strangers started emailing us like we originally were just publishing our friends for fun um and the first issue is super just like jokes and like a story about one night stands like i wrote a magazine quiz like what loteria lady are you it was like comics it was just like fun and sex positive and just kind of like about being kind of slutty and it was very fun um but then all the emails from strangers were like so intense. It was like, here's a poem about my identity. Here's a poem about, like, use of language. Here's a poem about, like, um, confronting racism in my university. Here's, like, a poem about, like, me overcoming being raped at school. Like, all of these huge, huge, huge things. And me and Isa were like, what do we do with all this? Okay, I guess we put it here again. And it just kept going, kept going for years like that. Like, it was just, like, strangers trusting us with their very intimate stories and very powerful art. And we just decided to keep going with it. So that's how that happened. So we published for, I don't know, maybe four years, five years, and we put out 14 issues. And like now it's like in libraries around the country, it's in universities, it's like on the syllabus at a bunch of different universities for like gender studies, uh, Chicano studies, women's studies. Um, We're in like a sexuality class. Uh, I don't know, like, yeah, it just got picked up by all these, like, different places, and we, like, had no idea how to, like, navigate these spaces. Like, we don't know what it means to, like, put a zine on a syllabus. We don't have, like, that barcode number. We don't have, like, a publishing house. We don't have, like, an institutional rate. Like, the zines are freaking $7. We don't know how much a textbook is supposed to cost. We're like, they're $7. I don't know what you want. <laughs> Professor me. Um, so it was all just me and Issa just being, like, we should have a conversation about this. What do you think? Do you like this? Do you not like this? Okay, cool. We're not doing this. Like, okay, cool. That sounds good. We'll do this. Like that was basically it. Yeah. So that was the zine and it was super fun
1: and wonderful.
0: I love it. Rocky, I know you want to deep dive into the scene, into the zine, but we've got a couple of questions in terms of like where people can, people are like, I need this zine in my life. Where can I find it? Can we, uh, can we throw the link up? And uh, can you tell us what is still available? Because I know you guys did 14 issues and have since you know stopped producing it, but what's still available and where can people find it?
2: So we have some issues still available. I think we have like just like a few. So if you want a specific issue, you can let us know. But we do have our issues on our Big Cartel page. So it's like stsousia.bigcartel.com. And then if you are in San Antonio or Austin or Chicago, you can get them at the public library. So just like go to your library and like, you can find them there. I think we're also in a library in Santa Barbara. I don't remember, but yeah, just see if you can find, you can probably also get them through interlibrary loan. So if you go to like the central library and just request them, you can get all of the issues. Yeah, I know that, I think it was like your second
1: or third issue that UTSA University of Texas in San Antonio actually archived in their special collections too. Uh, in San Antonio. So again, this the zine, I, I have a personal connection with it too because I actually was there for the very first zine release. I didn't even know what? you. What? Yes, I was at Tequila Island. Never been there before. <laughs> <laughs> it was like super bella, like yeah, this is cool. I'm here for, I guess, literature and like poetry. And I, right now, all my zines are in Brooklyn. But I, I have the original one from that zine party with like the rainbow. Um, uh, where you sewed like every single zine we didn't mention. Yeah, we yeah.
2: made them. We made them ourselves. We had a. We found an unattended copy machine. And we got them all printed and then we just ran all of the pages through my sewing machine. And we got like rainbow thread and just sewed them. And we like did not plan ahead. So it was like five minutes before we were leaving to go to the zine release party. And I'm like, let's just do two more, Isa. Come on, just do two more, just pass them through. Let's just get this done. So that was the first scene. And Tequila Island was the best. It was a freaking awesome Mexican gay bar on the South Mm -hmm. side, RIP Tequila Island. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Really. Um, But yeah, I think I also want to talk about um, your process, your editing process. Not only are you a writer, and you also produce these scenes, you're actually, you and Isa were editing everything. Like, you even had to learn how to format the scenes. And I know that from personal stories between you and I that you met with a lot of sexism, machismo, just because they're just like, who are these two mujeres trying to tell us how to like print stuff? So can you talk about even the obstacles you had to overcome with your like learning how to edit and, and
2: become editors you know, and, and you this title for yourselves? Uh yeah. So actually, like, yeah, we were doing all of this work. Um, like I edited all of the written portion and then um isa did the grid and the layouts because she actually does have a degree she actually did get professional education on this um so she like made our formatting she like did everything to like put it together in the booklet to make it look nice and pristine for printing um and then yeah i was editing everything and it wasn't until like maybe the fifth issue or something like way down the line where i was like oh hey people keep emailing me um and like, I edit the zine, like, should I like say that, like we're the editors, like we edit the zine and she's just like, no. And I was like, well, in a magazine, like there's like the editor in chief of like glamor. Like, are we that, we're that, right? And he Nisa was like, no, I'm an art director. You are an editor. And I was like, fuck yeah, look at me, <laughs> editing. And then uh, like years after that, like maybe three years after that, I, um. I went to New Mexico because a friend of mine invited me to go on like a poetry retreat where we just like I mean I'm saying poetry retreat but really what it was was uh just this freaking amazing poet named Rebecca Gonzalez from LA. If you guys have a chance to check out her poetry, it's fucking awesome. Um, she invited me to go to New Mexico and write poetry just in the middle of nowhere, and it was amazing. So I'm saying it was a poetry retreat, but it really was just me and her drinking whiskey in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, in like northern New Mexico. It was freaking great. Um, and then I stayed one day in Santa Fe with a, a friend from San Antonio, and she's actually like a professional editor, writer, publisher, marketing, all this kind of stuff. And she was telling me what she does for her job. And I was like, oh, you, you, um, prep everything and then like get it ready for like distribution i do that and then she's just like and i was like okay what else do you do and she's just like oh i um you know put out press releases and i was like okay yeah i do that too like it was just like all of these like real professional things that happen in the literary world and i didn't really put it together that like i was doing all of these roles like okay so i am a marketing professional i am a publisher i am all of these things an editor and it didn't occur to me because to me and Issa we're always like, oh we do a zine. we do a zine because we're trying to like get the word out that like Latinas are talented like that's all we're doing. But then like when it comes down to like terminology or how you would put it on like a resume, it has all of these lofty words that I didn't think of until like years down the line. Um, and then as far as obstacles like there's just so many like it was so hard for us to even find a print shop that wanted to work with us. After we started selling like hundreds and hundreds of copies, we were like, okay, we have enough money to do professional printing instead of just like waiting around for an unattended copy machine to make itself available. (laughs) So we started shopping like at print shops, like, hi, this is our specifications, this is how many pages, this is the type of covers we want. And so many people refused to work with us. Like we were there with money, with a project, filling out paperwork, doing a request for services, and people were just like, you don't know what you're ordering what is this even for? Are you here representing a company? If not, we're not going to give you a quote. Um, Or they would agree to print for us, but then refuse to give us the zines at the day that was agreed to because we're not a company because they didn't didn't take us seriously. So Mm -hmm. there was a lot of obstacles just to get printing. And then honestly, the most flack that we got was from men like Chicano men were the ones that were like the most, I guess like angry about what we were doing. Like they would just, you know, make comments about like, well, why are you uplifting your community and you're not including men? Well, there are so many good artists like that you need to be printing. And like, how are you ignoring men or like you're making um Latinos look bad? Like, why would you say that you're dirty? Like people already call us dirty Mexicans. Like, why would you do this? And, um, like all of this hate coming from like Chicanos and then like older Chicano men that were kind of just like very dismissive or just like calling us shitty names, like really just like in our face being like, you guys are wannabe writers or whatever, even though we're there like to give a presentation at a conference. Um, It's really just like straight up machismo just being like, how dare you do this without men? Or like, how dare you do this and not include men? Or how dare you do this and present yourself in this way that like our culture doesn't, say is appropriate or you know it's kind of like upholding old school traditions without knowing that they're doing it like they're just young men being like I see this is inappropriate and I'm gonna tell you something and then um they don't see it as like no I'm being like a fucking old school like macho asshole like we don't we're not it's not three generations ago like I don't know like so I feel like it's a lot of that where people don't know that they're upholding like all of these like negative ways that our culture like really holds women down. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of like, no, 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 this is our culture. No, 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 this is what you're supposed to do. It's not people like consciously like reflecting on like, okay, well, why am I offended by women writing poetry about how much they enjoy sex? Why am I offended by this like woman who is like an empowered lesbian talking about like how much she she loves her partner? Like, why are these things offensive to me? They're just Mm -hmm. kind of saying like, I'm offended or this is inappropriate and not really thinking about like where that's coming from and where it's coming from is just like deep seated issues within our culture that don't see women as like, you know, things that the people that deserve respect or like people with autonomy or people with thoughts or people with feelings or people who have like the power to like express themselves in these ways. And I think that it's changing. Like I see like a lot of new zines coming out, um, a lot of like young writers just being like really liberated and that's fucking awesome. And I know it was only like a few years ago that we did the zine, but I honestly feel like a lot has changed since then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely, like we said, you know, we're carving a path, uh, and, and making space for these kinds of stories, you know, like in your zine, you include, uh, stories about sex, about IPV, about reproductive health, about abortion, you know, like things that are typically considered taboo in Latinx culture. And, and you kind of talked about it already. um, But like, what is the necessity of having these stories out there? You know, Um, obviously we're tearing down misconceptions and, and, and carving new paths for people to be able to like live their truths, you know? Um, but why do you feel personally that it is important to make sure that we are expressing every aspect of Latino life and not just the aspect that is quote unquote, acceptable, traditional, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Well, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of reasons why it's important for us to tell our own stories. Number one, the most important is if we're not out there telling our own stories, other people are going to tell them for us Mm. and other people are going to get it fucking wrong. Like, I feel like, there was a huge controversy controversy with that book American Dirt and everybody was hating on this woman. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, okay, she wrote a fucking shitty airplane book. Okay, who cares? You know what it really is about? It's about how nobody takes Latinas in writing seriously and there are so many folks who could have written that book. There's mm-hmm. so many like undocumented folks. There are so many like There's so many more. writers, so many mujeres who have written books like, about this topic, about border stories, about struggles. And it's like, we're just fucking tired of the mediocrity of, like, the American publishing system being like, okay, these voices exist, but, like, let's defer to this white woman telling us what their story is. Mm. So it's super important that there's enough of us out there saying, this is me, this is my truth. This is me, this is what it's really like here so that we can say, you know what, nobody else can tell our story because we're doing it for ourselves. So, and then also with that, it's like, we don't even have to wait for publishers to be like, yes, we want you, or yes, we're going to prop up your book, or yes, we're going to say, like, we want you in our art gallery, or, you know, there's all these spaces that exclude people. And I think that we have the power now, especially with the internet to like, create our own spaces, create our own institutions. Like a lot of what we did with St. Susio was just saying, we're not waiting for other people to invite us to a table that wasn't built for us anyway. We're not gonna go knocking on doors that are not gonna be answered. We're going to create our own doors. We're gonna create our own table. Maybe it doesn't look the same way that the other institutions look, but that doesn't matter because we're doing it for us. It's by us and it's for us. And I think that that's something that's super important to just kind of acknowledge that it's okay to create just for yourself. It's okay to create just for your friends. It's okay to create just for your immediate community. It's okay okay to be a person of color and write or create art and not worry about how it's going to be perceived by like white academia or curators or all these big institutions Mm -hmm. that maybe don't understand your work or maybe don't want your work or maybe aren't interested in your story. That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that you create something. Mm
1: Yeah. Oof. Um, I know that we're, you know, we have some people over here on our chat that, um, <laughs> that have some <something> questions <laughs> for you because you are inspiring. You know, I think, and Saint, you know, Saint Susia, even your writing um, that you shared with us today is very radical. It's very changing. Um, you know, and it's pushing a lot of boundaries. Um, just even talking about dating. I, You know, in your first poem, I love when you were like, yeah, uh, the lawyer has a job, so can I get a job? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, a right? Right? There's <laughs> yeah, a
0: direct sure. deposit in that man's life, okay?
1: Yeah, he has a car, one. Okay, like he's good, you know, like. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty sure one. he has a car and I don't have to go pick him up. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that was so beautiful because at first, you know, um, St. Sousia, it's like the subtitle was um, a zine exposing what it is to be a mujer and dating in contemporary society, right? Um, And it's definitely developed and evolved from just like what dating is to reclaiming our stories. So um, I don't know. I'm just, I just wanted to say thank you because really, I know that when I was reading your zines, it was really inspirational and, and thank you for creating that space. But I think we have other members in our audience that have a lot of questions too um, to say praise and say thank you so let's let's look at what our audience has to say all right okay so we have which emotion is the catalyst for your best poetry anger or love and why
2: um i don't know if i can choose anger or love let's go with disappointment i think that like Me being disappointed in something is the best catalyst for me to write, whether it's like, okay, I'm disappointed by like how this date went, or I'm disappointed with what the government is doing, or I'm disappointed with, you know, whatever the situation is. It's never like, oh, I feel so much like love and joy, or I feel so much anger. Like this is like making me so mad. I just have to write. It's more like just me just being like, I'm fucking disappointed, do better whatever the fuck i'm talking about and i think that that's mostly like what i write about um but then i guess also love like san antonio like i really love san antonio like as a whole like as a city like the culture is so like vibrant and alive and that makes me want to write like and it's especially like weird parts of san antonio like i love dive bars i love like a really shitty dive bar where there's like no real lights it's just like a miller light sign that hasn't been like cleaned in 20 years so, like it's just like a few lights, a few broken tables, really cheap beer, cash only, and like a jukebox with Freddie Fender on it. Like, that's what makes me really want to write. It's like I just love like small parts of San Antonio that don't really get a lot of love. Like, you see San Antonio people are like, oh, the Alamo. I'm just like, man, that's the Alamo. <laughs> what the fuck? Were you at Bar America in the year 2000? That's more beautiful than the Alamo. I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: Let's talk and about let's talk about San Antonio for a minute, you know, because you, you are East side, you know, loud and proud. Um, I can hear the dogs in the background going crazy. No, I
1: love it. I love it. it.
0: It's real life. You know, it's real life. So what is it about the East side that you feel like is so special and that you love? Uh, And then what is happening in the East side that you just want to tear to the ground and punch people in the face?
2: So I love the east side, number one, because my whole family is over here, like, on New Braunfels Street. Like, if you just, like, drive down New Braunfels, like, boom, it's my tia's house. Three minutes later, it's my house. Five minutes later, it's my tia's house. And then it's my mom's house. And it's my cousin's house. Like, all of my family is around here. So I just, like, love that so much. But then also I just, like, love how it just, like, it just feels like a real place it just feels like real people live here. Real people have their lives. Like I've got like really sweet, awesome elderly neighbors. Like there's like a bunch of rowdy kids right behind my house that I hear running all the time. There's like just dogs. There's the bus, like people going to work. Like this is alive for me. And I go visit people like for my job. I see my patients in their houses in like the suburbs. And it just like seems so creepy to me. Like all the houses like look the same and there's no like, I don't know, food mart to walk to. It's like, well, what do you do when you need a pack of smokes or, like, some chicharrones? Like, do you have to get in your car and drive? Like, that feels fucking weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel real, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I'm from around here that I'm like, this is what real life looks like. And the suburbs, like, seem so boring. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I love the east side like it's alive it's got its own personality it's fucking great the food here is fucking delicious Mr. and Mrs. G's is the best soul food I hope that they come back they've been like <laughs> closed for the pandemic and I was like really sad about it I was like I just want some smothered steak and greens and then my partner was like well what do you want do you want Mr. and Mrs. G's or do you want Mr. G to be alive through the pandemic and I was like Mr. G <laughs> you're right <I'm laughs> um yeah so there's just awesome food uh But yeah, and this, honestly, the community has completely changed. Like, I think it was two years ago that my neighbor to the left of me and my neighbor to the right of me and then my neighbor right behind my house, all of them in the same month had to move out. And it's because this community is just decimated by gentrification. Like, a lot of the neighbors that, like, I knew and, like, I would talk to are completely gone. Um, The property taxes are completely out of control. just like the houses around here are being flipped. Like every block has a house under construction and it has been that way for about seven years. And there's been some things that like have been, I guess like saved and there have been like wins, but on the whole, I feel like this neighborhood has just been just taken over by like gentrifiers honestly like there's mm-hmm. a lot of folks that are still here but i would say like half of the folks are gone and now there's just like new people and you know they're like super rich people because you look up their houses because you're being nosy and you google it and you're like Ugh, they flipped that house how much are they fucking asking for it four hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars what the fuck is wrong with them you know like that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but one of the wins was they were going to put up some apartments Um, like right down the street from me, like I live on Hay Street. So like right down like by Hay Street Bridge, they were going to like put up some apartments that were going to like block the view of downtown for like part of the east side. And the lowest, cheapest efficiency in that apartment was like $2,000. Like they were saying this is community housing. They were saying we're building this because it's affordable for the community. And it's like, who the fuck affords an efficiency at that price? Like you guys are fucking lying. Mm -hmm. And they ended up not building it, and now it's going to be built into, like, a park for, like, who showed up to, like, the meeting to be, like, okay, well, what are we going to turn this park into? It was a bunch of skateboarding teenagers, so now it's going to be a skate park, which I'm, like, totally cool with. Like, fuck yeah, teenagers, like, go skate. Like, that's way better than a bunch of gentrifiers um, at the bridge, but, like, that wasn't an easy fight. Like, it was, like six years of meetings and six years of court cases. And like, it was honestly like the work of the Esperanza center with their amazing lawyer who took the case pro bono and fought it. And it went to the Texas Supreme court and got bounced back and then went back to the Texas Supreme court. And it was years and years and years. And like, I was speaking at city council meetings and being like, Hey guys, my community is disappearing. What are y'all going to do about it? And it was like, Hmm. it wasn't like one time. It was like years of this. And that's what it took to save one park like mm-hmm. one square of land. Like it was so much like years of work. And then in the end it's kind of like, okay, we look around and like a lot, a lot has changed. Like, but I mean, I still really love it here. And I still feel like the community that I love is still here. Um, but yeah, it's changed a lot in like the past few years. Like I would say the East side um, that I grew up with is mm-hmm. completely changed. Like, yeah. It's, it's still, crazy.
0: it's still San Antonio, you know, and, and that's one of the things that when I talk to people from out from outside of here, that makes this this city so great. It's the people, you know, like you were talking about your neighbors and the community, la comunidad que tenemos, you know, like it is about the people that make this place great, and uh, you definitely have created a space for community, and uh, I love how much that you stand for. Uh, protecting your community and empowering it. So props to you on
1: that. Yeah, I definitely remember those like cases of like Hay Street Bridge of whether or not they're going to build all those into gears and the whole thing like you were talking about. And um, I think my one of my favorite memories of you reading your poetry is when they like, I forgot, I don't know if it was National Poetry Month or it was Dream Week, where they invited you to read like it was a very elite group that invited you to read at the Alamo Beer, like, <laughs> and you're like, okay, if I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna read my gentrification poem, yeah, white people, and it was like, um, you know, that. I- Right.
2: like, like Thank you. Yeah. So they invited me to go read poetry and I was like, I'm not gonna fucking go read there. That's a fucking den of gentrifiers. They build a fucking brewery under the fucking bridge. How fucking dare they? Like I was all pissed off about it. And then I was all, oh, I have an idea.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How very punk rock of you.
1: <laughs> it really was. And I was just like, yo, oh, get it, tosh Like I I thought that was so amazing it was that. It was
2: so great. Like my mom and my tia went with me for like support, like moral support. And then I read my poem, which was basically like, fuck all of you. Like that's what the poem was. It was about, hey, I'm (laughs) from here. Fuck all of you. And then, um, yeah, at the end, everybody was all amazing. amazing, (laughs) Yeah. And my tia was all, you're talking shit to them and they're clapping for you. (laughs) They didn't even realize it was about them. What about them?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you again so much for everything that you've done uh, in this community for people of color, for women, for women of color, for non-binary people. Like you're definitely someone who has trails, trailed, 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 that's a word, trailed a path, carved a path, trailblazing and all of that fun stuff. So thank you so much. Thank
2: you. Um, Thank you guys for having me.
1: No, I, no problem. And it's really great, friend, just to see you and to talk to you. You know, I, I definitely credit Santa Susia so much, even in my life and in my development years, right, in San Antonio. And you were one of the reasons why I, I love and miss San Antonio so much. So thank you so much for creating mm-hmm. that space for for people like me to share our voices
2: and our stories. So mm-hmm. Rocky, like, thank you so much. But like, honestly, Rocky, you did it for yourself. Like, it was you. It was all the people who, like, sent us their contributions. It was all the artists, all the writers. Y'all did it, y'all made Santa Sucia what it was. It was like me and Issa just like created a space to be like, do you wanna be here? You can be here, but it was all of you guys. Like without you, without the writers, without the artists, like that zine was nothing. It was you guys did it. Like we just made a space available. It was all y'all, you did it for yourself.
0: Well, thank you again. Can you please, I know you have uh, a uh, new chat book out. I don't know if you're gonna read from it, but can you please close this out with one more poem?
2: Sure, I'll read the poem that you guys were mentioning, you guys, the East Side poem. Okay, this poem is called Un Poco de Respeto. My family didn't own the house I grew up in. We rented on the Southeast side. I had a whole life there. Memories of my great grandmother toothlessly sucking Cheetos on the couch. My ma and then years later, my sister studying at the desk, I would hide under to read Archie comics. My dad working on gargachas and various states of disrepair in our driveway, putting Bill Miller tea buckets, pots and pans under dripping leaks during storms. One day, landlady Letty came over with trabajadores, pointed, gave orders and left. In the coming weeks, rooms were painted, Wires ripped out of walls raining sheetrock on piles of clothes, books, nightstands, and the radio I played every morning while I dressed for school. The bathtub I remember sitting in while my dad washed my hair with a plastic Miller Lite pitcher was on the front lawn when I got home from school. We had to shower at my grandma's house that week. My dad taped notes to the walls that said, un poco de respeto, but those contractors were on a deadline. We didn't know it yet, but so were we. We were evicted with two weeks' notice once the house was beautiful. More honestly, once the house was livable. The night we left, we took every light bulb out of the house and threw them in the trash, a gesture of powerless frustration. I know what it's like to stand in front of your home and know you can never go back. Me and my dad moved to Government Hill, and I love walking the streets with the gallos and the junkies, my neighbor on his lowrider bike and his ninos with the matching ape hangers, Pan de huevo, milk, and pouch tobacco at the panadería. It's para mi padre, I told the señora at the counter. One day, the house, two doors down, spontaneously grew windows and doors. I could no longer see the neighbors asleep on mattresses on the floor and the front doors vomiting garbage onto the bare lawn. Then another house got new paint. The guys next door who sold weed had to move out because a man from Laredo bought their place. Condos went up a few blocks away. The house where I returned a baby I found in the street was torn down to make a dog park for those pinche condos. I yelled like a loca when the sidewalks came. Where were those when I took the bus to work, embarrassed and soaked to the knee as I clocked in? Those fucking sidewalks aren't for me. They aren't for us. On the verge of tears, I realized it was over. Mi barrio is no longer for me. I looked around and realized so much had changed. El centro is for turistas so safe now that it's illegal to sleep in the street, ask for change or feed the hungry. The east side is being bought and sold faster than you can say craft beer at the Hayes Street Bridge. The west side is used as a place to keep the unsightly jail, bus stops, homeless shelters away from the out of towners who flood the Riverwalk with selfies and machine margarita vomit. The south side has torn down the family cafes and cantinas for strip malls and fast food. I have no idea what goes on at the north side. My Honda stalls if I try to go outside 4:10. When you think to yourself, Cosas cambia?" and shrug, I'm asking you, Sananto, to ask un poco de respeto. When they buy our houses and renovate them to charge triple for our childhood memories, when they clean the cobwebs out of our bars and charge triple for the dance to for the chance to drink where poets, hotel workers, professors, and lawyers shared dances, when they make every aspect of our culture a commodity. Un poco de respeto. Thank you guys so much for having me. Bye. <laughs> Yay!
1: Wow. Damn. I really miss San Antonio.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> that was puro San Antonio. That's where Super that was. Puro.
1: So puro. I-
0: I feel like if there if we had to if we had to reflect on just like what what all that was I think that what what comes to mind to me which is very sananto is mm-hmm. is is DIY you know is this mm-hmm. idea that is that is so uh, permeated in this community of like build it do it expose it get it out there and they will come like it is very um, bootstraps grassroots do it yourself you know
1: exactly exactly i think you know san antonio always gets to, like overlooked because of houston and, and dallas and austin but we really do put in the work right i think it's just so beautiful we're always about comillar, um and uplifting a lot of people and i love that like Tasha's, again i think the word uh, was punk rock right so punk rock so Radical, so trailblazing about um, creating these spaces for mujeres, for non-binary people, for people of color. Um, you know, interacting with these intersectional intersectionality and feminism. So, you know, it's it is it is very puro, right? It is puro, and that is what it is, right? It is Put very.
2: Up. So brutal. I am
1: also very little, like you know. It's oh, you can't. Say, this is so. from like yeah. <laughs> um but yes we're all like representing san antonio
0: right now i know somebody in the comments was like really san antonio i'm like yes really san antonio okay <laughs> so if you don't know now you know we welcome you with open arms but don't try and you know flip our heads yeah
1: there <laughs> <know San> <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, there you go. Let's, let, yeah, Rocky, let's thank some people and get on out of
1: here. <laughs> exactly. Let's go, let's go. Um, so I really want to thank the audience. Thank you so much for your questions, for being here. Y'all are amazing. Always, um, it's a joy to, to bring in these poets to talk to y'all, and share their words with you. And I also want to um, say thank you to our production crew Um, Chris, for the songs, and also Dom Dominique for doing these transitions. You don't know, she's badass, she's doing promotions, she's doing everything over here throughout the show. So, give it all to Dom. (laughs)
0: And then, of course, please make sure that you are following us on social media. Uh, We are on Twitter and Instagram at Words and Shh, so you can find out about all the upcoming shows. We've got quite a lineup coming up, um, so make sure. uh, Also on Twitter, we just started releasing writing prompts, based off of our interviews so if you're looking for a good writing prompt to be like inspired to you know create generate some new work make sure you're following us on twitter because we'll be releasing a writing prompt every week after our shows
1: yeah, and if you enjoyed this episode, right, you can definitely rewatch it, and you can watch all, um, all older episodes as well on our YouTube. And this will be released on any any podcast, so wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be like on your iPhone, iPod, you know, anything, you can find us over here. So if you just want to listen to us, or just look at our beautiful faces again, um, definitely, definitely check us out on YouTube and anywhere you can get your podcasts. And if you who's coming next week?
0: And wait, before next week, also oh. catch up on previous episodes that you may have missed because this is season two, y'all. Season two. That means that there are more than 35 episodes that you may have missed. So go uh, on our podcast to catch up on old episodes and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. But next week, all the way from New York City. From specifically
1: where, Rocky? I think from the Bronx. From, yeah. the Bronx.
0: from the Bronx?
1: From the Bronx. The Boogie Down Bronx. Yo, I'm so excited because I love the Bronx. <laughs> we're not gonna <laughs> as, as much as Brooklyn because Brooklyn and Bronx has well.
0: anyways. We anywhere, we're, not, we're not gonna put you on the spot. But anyway, all the way from the Bronx in New York City, it's Bonafide Rojas. We're so excited to welcome this multi-talented artist onto the words mm-hmm. and shit space. Um I I I you know that's all I really have right now because we're just hella excited uh, mm-hmm. because of how multi-talented this artist is and
1: yeah. um, that's so much too for Puerto Rico as well as like in the historically New Rican po- he is the New Rican poet. So for my Texas San Antonio people, you're like, what's a New Rican? Well, watch us out, watch out and come and join us next week to find out the difference between a Puerto Rican and a New Rican, right?
0: Mm-hmm, that's right. Damn, Bonafide Rojas is dope, says one of our audience members. So that's going to be coming to you live next week, Thursday, 7.30 Central Standard Time here on the Right Art Out Facebook page or the Words and Shit YouTube channel. But until then, thank you for joining us. My name is Chibi.
1: And I'm Raquel. So thank you so much for coming and have a great night and enjoy. Breathe and live. <laughs> Wait,
0: I'm- live. It's a live. new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life. Feel good. Stay safe out there, y'all.
1: Stay puro. Bye.